Father, you are a speaking God and you are a wonderful God. And so when your word reveals things about you, we are driven to praise. Father, please would you fill our hearts with joy as we learn truth about you. Would you also drive into us deep convictions tonight from your word? Would you not just inform our minds, but would you change our wills, we pray, for your glory and the blessing of those around us. Amen. Hebrews 10, 19-25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, look at the people around you. It's quite easy to do when you're sat in round tables. Give them a good eyeball. Wave at them. Humanly speaking, what will be the most important factor in whether they keep trusting in Jesus and growing over the coming years? Humanly speaking, what will be the most important factor? You. You. You are the most important factor, humanly speaking, in whether they keep trusting Jesus, and they are for you. See, God made us to need not just himself, but his people. And if we're to go on and grow on as Christians, we need each other. So as good and healthy as it is to develop quiet times, as good and healthy as it is to read books and listen to talks on your own, Actually, in the long run, if you do not have deep, real Christian friendships that you develop, you're very, very unlikely to keep going for more than a couple of years. Humanly speaking, they decide whether you stand firm and grow strong or drift away and get bogged down in doubt and discouragement. And to be honest, the, the main reason that we have small groups as a church is not because churches have small groups. It is to enable those relationships that will enable us encourage us, empower us to grow for Jesus Christ. And so we want to just turn to God's word tonight uh, to shape our thinking, our attitudes, our convictions as we prepare for another year of of, uh, home groups and knowing God groups. So we're in the book of Hebrews uh, and we're in the climax really of the book of Hebrews. Uh, Verse 19, therefore brothers, in the light of everything that's been said for, for almost 10 whole chapters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. This declaration, if you like, of confidence before God is what Hebrews has been building to. And the Old Testament has always shown that you need two things if you're going to approach God confidently. You need an effective sacrifice for your sins and you need an effective priest who can present that sacrifice before God. You need a sacrifice to pay for your sins and you need a priest to present that sacrifice before God. And we have both a sacrifice and a priest. We have Jesus and we have Jesus. 
See, having paid for our sins as the blood sacrifice, Jesus went into God's presence in heaven to present that sacrifice. And as he did so, he opened the door and he left it open. Uh, He's bad like that, leaves the door open. For once, it's a good thing. Uh, You're very happy that Jesus leaves the door open. In fact, more than he just leaves it open, he is the door through which you and I enter into God's presence. And we can follow him with confidence and without fear. If you like, it's uh, when you put your trust in Jesus, it's like becoming a citizen. Uh, you now belong in this country. Uh, you know, I, I first um, had to come back through Heathrow in passport controls back in the day when there wasn't, you know, treating British people just as if we're like every other European. Back then, back then we were treated as separate and special. And the rest of the world would have these enormous queues and there would be those special queues just for us. Those short queues where they would smile rather than look suspiciously at you and wave you through with your huge black card passport rather than that little flimsy red thing. You see, there were real advantages. Being a citizen meant you had a confident and a bold approach and you were welcome into the country. And it's like that with God. When you you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you are welcome. You have a right to be there. You no longer need a visa stamp. You no longer need it updated every few years. You have a right to be in God's presence through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the writer of the Hebrew then uh, draws four conclusions or four imperatives, four commands, which flow out of this, this confidence, this right that we have. And they are, draw near to God, hold on to your hope, spur one another on, and encourage one another. Uh, and what we'll see is that the... Um, the, the last two, if you like, empower the first two. So firstly, draw near to God. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Come near to God. Don't grovel. Don't worry. It's perfectly safe. God wants you with him. And it's based on the fact, this assurance and confidence, that our consciences, if we trust in Jesus, have been washed clean from guilt and our bodies have been washed. So we're cleansed from guilt. You do not need to listen to the inner voice that tells you, God will not accept you. You're not holy enough. You're too filthy. No one else has probably done the things you've done as a Christian. You're too pathetic in your faith. No other Christian would have failed to speak about Jesus in that situation. No one else would give in to temptation so quickly. You don't need to listen to that voice. Your conscience has been cleansed of all guilt because every one of those sins has been paid for by Jesus on the cross. So our conscience has been cleansed, but also our bodies have been washed. We sin with our bodies. And Christianity is not uh, Gnostic. It doesn't... It doesn't say that we have this pure soul and these filthy bodies. No, our bodies are filthy with our sins, but it's our bodies that get washed by God, and it's with our bodies that amazingly we serve God. So this tongue, these hands, are suitable instruments for serving God, which is a mind-blowing thought. Uh, we, uh, we had a special dinner set. I mean, I'm not sure how many other people had this at home mum and dad had the sort of everyday crockery but there was the special dinner set i liked the special dinner set because it meant two things one it meant we were eating special food the special dinner set meant mum was cooking special food but secondly it was worth a bit more than the ordinary crockery which meant we weren't allowed to wash it up 
Only Dad could do the washing up. I liked the special dinner set. And And you kind of think, look, we expect for the service of God, it's not just ordinary people like us. Or we get to thinking it's... You know, there's ordinary Christians and then there are sort of apprentices and ministers. They, they properly serve God. As if you have to be somehow different from ordinary people to be of any use to God. There is no special dinner set in the Bible, in the New Testament. All of us are suitable vessels for God's service. Each of you, your tongue, your hands, your feet... Your body, your brain is suitable for serving God. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But what does it mean to draw near to God? Uh, There's no physical temple anymore that we can draw near to him in. In fact, there's no physical place where God dwells. So how do you draw near to a God who is not located in any one place but is everywhere? There's lots that could be said here, but um, perhaps the main thing to get into our head is... um, Having spoken about citizenship a minute ago, Christianity is not like becoming a citizen. It is like getting married. So citizenship, you go through a ritual. Um, if you've become a, who here has become a, anybody here become a citizen as an adult of Britain? Yep, one or two. Uh, so there's a, it costs, yeah, you pay a lot of money. It's not like that with becoming a Christian. Uh, <laughs> There's a picture of Her Majesty there. She's not really present. You swear things. You take an exam. There's an elaborate ceremony. There's a round of applause. And that's it. Job done. You don't have to do anything after that. You don't have to actually learn to speak English after that. You don't have to support England when they play sport. You're not expected to send a birthday card to Queen Liz. Dear Liz, happy birthday. You're not expected to do that. Getting married is very different. Your life is expected to change completely and to be built around that person. You're meant to get married is to grow in a relationship with them on an ongoing basis. It's totally different from citizenship. And to draw near to God is like that in the sense that we, the Bible uses this picture of marriage for our relationship with God. So to draw near to God is to walk with Jesus. It is to grow as a Christian, developing a relationship with him, listening to him more and more every day in his words, speaking to him more and more every day in prayer, following him more and more every day as we seek to to follow his example. Okay, so draw near to God. Secondly, because your salvation is certain, hold on to hope. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. If you haven't worked it out yet, let me encourage you, this is not as good as it gets. I don't mean uh, midweek, well, although, you know, small groups are a lot better than tonight. (laughs) You don't have to listen to me at small groups. Um, You can can just learn from the Bible yourselves. Uh, But what I mean is this life is not as good as it gets. And that is very, very good news. Christians are primarily, fundamentally people of hope. We do not have what we will one day have. We have not yet felt the softness of the grass of heaven under our bare feet. We have not yet been given new immortal bodies. We have not yet seen the Lord Jesus Christ face to face in his physical, eternal resurrection body. We have not yet eaten the feast that he is preparing for us. We await those things. We're people of hope. But it is not a foolish hope. It is not the the hope of the England football fan or the European finance minister. It is a solid, 
bankable hope because verse 23, God is faithful. God has never had a check bounce. God has never failed to deliver on a promise. What he says, he always does. It's a great phrase at the end of the book of Joshua that says, there have been no falling words. Isn't that wonderful? No falling words. No word that God promises ever falls to the ground. They all do what they were supposed to do. So draw near to God and hold on to your hope. But how will you do that? You will do that, verse 24 to 25, as we spur one another on and encourage one another. I've really split them, so you're going to have to stick in another point, because I think actually you can split verse 24 to 25 a bit more. So 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now this word spur is a very, very strong word. It's goad or provoke or prod. The image is of a stubborn mule, that's you and me, and somebody behind it with a sharp pointy stick stabbing the mule in its hindquarters so that the mule will go in the right direction and not go in the wrong direction. And the point is very simple. I love to do what's right, sometimes, and sometimes I don't. And if I'm going to grow in love and good deeds, and I presume it's the same for you, then there will be times when I will need people in this room to give me a sharp prod with a pointy stick, proverbially, metaphorically. I know there have been times, but uh, metaphorically we all need that. You see, because we are selfish and we are foolish. We slip into feeling sorry for ourselves rather than loving other people. We slip into believing the lie that I should be true to myself rather than true to my Lord. I slip into the lie of believing I deserve it, whatever it is, rather than trusting God. And so instead of living in the freedom and the fulfillment of a life spent obeying God and living for others, we, we turn away to shriveled lives and sometimes I need someone to give me a sharp prod. My best friends, I can think of people down the years at CCM who've had very awkward conversations with me which I did not appreciate at the time, but now I'm very grateful for. Who were willing to rain on parades when I was very excited about things that weren't quite right. Who were willing to challenge cherished ideas and plans. Who were willing to be not liked so they could stop me doing something wrong. Those are the friends you really want. Friends who are prepared to have you hacked off with them to give you a sharp prod when you need it. Uh, Few of us find it easy. Maybe one or two of us find it a little too easy. But most of us find that hard to do. But if we love people, we'll do that for them. But then verse 25 balances what verse 24 says. Uh, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. A church is not just to be a sharp, pointy stick community. It is also to be a warm, encouraging hug community too. Following Jesus can be hard and there will be times when all of us will need an arm around our shoulder, some encouraging words just to keep us going. Whether it's the difficulties and disappointments of life grinding us down with another failed job interview or relationship or another physical or financial setback. The things that make us tempted just to give up. Or, or just to downgrade our whole view of Christian life, just to sort of fizzle into grumbling and a discontent with God. You know, the sort of you just don't want to go to church with all the people with their 
smiling, shiny, happy faces and holiday tans. When you feel like that, you just want to drift away. Other times, it's not so much the, the, the failures and, and difficulties of my life. It's more the sin. I just feel like I'm not making any progress. Everybody else is. Sometimes it's just actually life is hard and busy. And it feels like a real effort just to keep going as a Christian. And at those times, I don't encourage myself. I need others to encourage me. And the particular truth we need in these verses, well, there are two things we need in verse 25. We need to meet with others so that we can encourage one another. And in particular, encourage one another with the return of Jesus. It's a great truth. Whatever else is going on in life, no matter how bad life gets, it is always true that Jesus' return is one day nearer today than it was yesterday. And that is good news. Sometimes that's as much as we've got to hold on to. But that's a pretty good thing to hold on to. And we'll never receive those encouragements, though, if we're not meeting together. If we don't invest in relationships with one another as a church. You only receive sharp prods and gentle words when you're in the same room as people. See, this is the picture of community you get in the Bible. It is a community of people where we love each other enough that we'll prod one another when we attempted to stray. And we'll encourage one another when we're worn down. And very importantly, we love each other enough that we get to know one another well enough to know when someone needs a prod and when someone needs a hug. That's what church is. The picture you get here is very, very different from a lot of our images of church. In particular, church is not an audience, a crowd. It is a team, an orchestra. We're not gathered to watch, we're gathered to play. So it's very interesting that a medieval church before the Reformation was very similar to a lot of modern megachurches in that all that mattered was what happened up front. That's why there were railings and all the action took place up front where the priests would do their thing. And what happened in the audience really didn't matter. And it can feel like that some, uh, at some of the mega churches. And there's always a danger, especially in London church, um, where when we have really good musicians, when we have good quality stuff, we get to thinking that church is about coming and watching what happens there. It is not. Church is about what happens here with all of us. The New Testament model of church is all of us exercising our gifts, all serving one another. It is not a rock concert where we stand in the crowd. It's an orchestra where we all play. It's a team where we all play. I think one of the clearest ways you see that is just looking at the one another references in the Bible, in the New Testament. Just listen to these. Uh, this is just a, just a smattering of them. Love one another, John thirteen thirty four. Instruct, teach, and admonish one another, Romans fifteen fourteen, Colossians three sixteen. Speak truth in love, building one another up, Ephesians four fifteen. Encourage one another, one Thessalonians five, Hebrews three. Hebrews 10, encourage one another with the words of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Spur one another on to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10.24. Pray for one another, James 5.16, Ephesians 6.18. Be concerned for one another and bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2, 1 Corinthians 12.25. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12.10. Serve one another, Galatians 5.13. Wash one another's feet, John 13.14. And none of those were written to church leaders. 
All of those are written to us, to all of us. It's striking. Although the New Testament recognizes that some people should be set aside for for full-time teaching ministry, it's very clear that all of us are to teach one another. The responsibility for teaching the word of God resides not up here but down there with all of us in this church. And this is how God will preserve us. This is how God will help us grow. God's means for our perseverance through all the trials and temptations of life. God's means for getting you and the person sat next to you safely to his eternal paradise kingdom is the people sat around you. And one day, by God's grace, you will see the role that you played in the lives of others. One day, by God's grace, you will see the role that other people played in getting you there. You'll see how... Amazing it was that the Holy Spirit would use some of your words, words that we don't even remember, words that we had no idea how important they would be, but the Holy Spirit used to stop people falling away completely into sin, to encourage people when they were at the point of giving up. And on that day, we will rejoice, and we will spend the rest of eternity rejoicing and thanking one another and praising God for his Spirit's incredible work in ordinary vessels like us. And now to help us think a little bit more about what that will mean for us in practice, Ruth is going to come and, uh, and lead us through the questions and help us think a little bit more deeply about these issues. Yeah, hi, I'm Ruth, if I haven't met you. I'm on the staff team with Phil. And um, I helped Phil oversee the small groups, and as he said, we're gonna, those are going to kick off in about two weeks' time. Next Wednesday, we'll have our big launch dinner, and then in two weeks' time, Wednesday and Thursday nights and Sunday afternoon, we'll be um, meeting in our groups. So I just want to say, actually, nowhere in the Bible does um, God command us to have a small group program. So he doesn't command structures or programs, but he does command heart change and real commitment to one another. So we have small groups, not because God commands us to, but actually because we think they're the most helpful means of doing all the things that Phil's just been telling us about. Um, So those verses from Hebrews 10, particularly the last two, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we think small groups really help us begin to do that, and all those other one another verses that Phil just read out. Um, They're a good place to start. Many of us find that we begin to just learn how to do that well with one another when we have a smaller group of people rather than all 200, well, not quite that many, but quite a lot of people on a Sunday evening. Uh, one of my favorite one another verses is in Colossians 3:16, particularly related to small groups. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So I, we don't want groups um, where we just build relationships, where it's just an evening of, of chatting and um, sympathizing with one another. We want groups where, we, where God's word is the foundation. God's word is the foundation of our fellowship. And it is God's words that we need to say to one another. Um, It's God's words that will equip us to keep going until he returns, not just our words. So we think small groups really help us 
learn how to discuss God's words together, um, help us get better at doing that. We're not very good at it often. So small groups can be a good way of just getting confident at talking about God's word together. And small groups help us develop those relationships where we're actually teaching and admonishing one another with God's word rather than our own. So small groups are great. I think they're great. Um, They're where we really love one another um, in a way that's founded on God's word. But you might hear all of that and think, that sounds great, Ruth, um, but my experience has not always been like that. Uh, What you're describing sounds a bit unrealistic. Um, Maybe, if you're honest, uh, you've been in a small group where sometimes it feels like plowing through treacle. Uh, Or maybe you've led a group where it feels like you're plowing through treacle. Um, Maybe uh, you've been in a group where the most animated anyone ever gets is when you talk about the bake-off or the rugby scores or problems at work. Uh, Maybe you've been a group in a group where the leader always seems to have the answer in their head and you just can't quite guess what it is. Uh, Or there seems to be a party line and you really don't want to tow it. Um, Maybe you've been in a group where you feel like you're the only one who's committed or you're you're the only one who's willing to share their personal struggles. Maybe even in a group where there seem to be cliques of friends and you're not included. Maybe even in a group where no one ever ever seems to want to spend time together outside of the study. I don't know, that's quite possible. Small groups can be hard. They can be hard. And that's a depressing list, isn't it? Um, You might be thinking, well, what's the point? Uh, Let's find something else to do on our Wednesday and Thursday evenings. Um, Please don't do that. Uh, I think these verses give us a reason to think again. Uh, give us a reason to consider how our hearts need to change and how everyone else's needs to change. But let's start with our own hearts. Let's pray for one another this year that our own hearts would change and the hearts of those in our groups would change as well, that we do this better. So we're going to think about what it would look like uh, in our small groups if we try to obey these verses in Hebrews more. You'll be in a group with maybe about 10 to 12 people this year. So what will it look like? I mean, Phil just told us, Hebrews 10, 19, drawing near to God, that means walking with Jesus and following him as king and following his example, speaking to him in prayer, all those things. And that whole passage told us that we can't do that alone. Drawing near to God, walking with Jesus as our king, will mean considering others. That's part of following Jesus. It will mean not just considering how I'm following Jesus, but considering how we're helping each other follow him. So we're going to spend some time thinking about these questions, um, the questions on the back of your sheets, and they should help us just drill down a bit into our attitudes um, and help us think about how we do this considering others. So they're pretty self-explanatory. Some of them may be a bit uncomfortable. Um, You get to talk about your ideal small group at the start, but hopefully you'll conform your ideal to God's word by the end. Um, you want to spend a good chunk of that time praying for each other. So maybe 